and welcome to another edition of Hoops Adjacent. I'm David Aldridge. Not quarantined, but staying in place in D.C. with my man, Waz Lambray, out in L.A. Waz, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. It's it's really hot here in the Valley, but we're maintaining. Hot. That's hot. That's, I like hearing it's that. It's 93 right now. <laughs> 90, is it 93, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, I'm not used to, I'm not, now I don't get, it doesn't usually get that hot out in LA, does it? It's usually like 80 every day, isn't it? In the valley, it does. In the summertime, oh, it's, in the valley. it's, it's okay. consistently about 96 degrees in oh, the right. summer months, okay. for sure. But this is like sort okay. of a, a, a heat wave right now that we're experiencing. And I think by next week, it'll get back to the 70s. All right, I got you. I got you alone. I want to bring in our guest this week. Very happy to have him on the horn. One of our favorites here at Hoops Adjacent. My man, Doc Rivers, the head coach of the L.A. Clippers. Doc. What's up, guys? Uh, I'm in Malibu and it's 82. So oh, there, it's you go. there you go. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, of so course Doc, you're in Malibu. I don't know what the rules are. I know that California's on that lockdown, but I know a brother can get out and get 18 holes in if he needs to, Doc, right? <laughs> I can't, man. I tell you, it's it's been locked down. Is that right? No, no golf. It all opens up tomorrow. Okay. Uh, so I am proud to say I already have secured my tea time at Bel Air, and, and I'll be playing tomorrow. <laughs> Wait, are you going, Doc? Now you got to tell me. Please tell me you're at least going to be pulling your own cart. You're not going to be riding with somebody, are you? No, you got to carry your own bag, no right. cart. You know, you, you got to carry your own bag, yeah. and uh, got to have a mask on on the first tee box, and. Right. I'm good with that. Like okay. I'm, I'm fine. Like I'll play by myself too. I don't need anybody. Right, I'll right. just go out and play. Okay. As long as I can do something, I'm happy. This will be about. We're going on about eight weeks of this. When's the last time you went eight weeks without playing golf? Uh, last time I had back surgery. Mm, <laughs> wow. I mean, uh, I love golf. I wish I was better at it, uh, <laughs> but I love it. And so, yeah, I, I no way I've gone eight eight weeks. Uh, I think it's been a little longer. Because we were just coming off a road trip and all that. So I, I, I want to say it's almost three months before I even touched the golf club. That's un, unheard of. What is your expectation for what you're going to shoot? I'm just curious. Because you are like a two handicap or something, aren't you? Oh, stop it. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm an eight handicap. So that would be around an 80. Right. I'm, a, I'm expecting about an 86 tomorrow. Right. Yeah. If I shoot that tomorrow, I'm going to be very happy. Yeah. I'll, I'll be richer as well, I think. Uh-oh, uh-oh. We got a little, got a little action going on the first day out, oh, Doc? I, you cannot golf without action. Okay. Like, it's just, it can't happen. All right. That's you know, when they were talking about Michael Jordan and golf, well, I don't play for that because right. I can't afford it. But I'm like, yeah, you do have to play. You got to have you got to have a trophy on the line or something. I mean, you got to play for something. Wait, hold on, Doc. You're not writing checks for a million and a half to – Convicted felons? That's crazy. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> not, not, now, not even back then. There was one guy doing that. <laughs> Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to the comma is Jason on the Athletic Podcast. Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and like the bullshit and the braggadocio. I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. David, David Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Yes. <laughs> And then he yeah. kept their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. Lambert. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. 
watched most if not all of of the last dance what what are your impressions of it as somebody who played against michael back in those days oh i love it i love it i love hearing you know i think it's great obviously uh for today's players you know um you know it's funny austin you know my son has always had this kobe kobe lebron kobe lebron uh, and then he, he, we were talking the other day and he's like okay it, it may have been michael it may have been michael you know, it's amazing. Like, this thing is changing a lot of the young guys' attitude towards Michael. Nice. You know, they think they just think we're old men talking about, you know, walking 50 miles in the snow. Uh, now they realize. Both ways. It was true. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. It was true. But for me, it's been great. Um, you know, two things. Like, the, the last episode I didn't enjoy because I was a Nick. Uh, right, and right. <laughs> we were the only team to have them down 2-0. Michael's right. never been down 2-0 in a series like that, you know, in his heyday. And and we had them down. And that, listen, it's funny. Like, you remember all your victories. You remember your losses. Right. Like, more as a player and a coach. And that one, that game five, yes. Is, yes. that haunts me to this day, just thinking about it, mm-hmm. you know. And so that brought back all those memories. I did forget that you know between game two and three there was that four-day break right and and david aldrich and wilborn and his crew <laughs> were killing michael every day just just firing him up like I, I i do remember i remember us thinking man i wish they would leave this alone right right like i actually remember that like I, re- I wish they just leave this stuff alone let, let them sleep you know uh and you guys didn't and we had to deal with it uh, I tell you, I remember that very vividly, Doc. And I, I was actually, and this is the absolute God's honest truth, I was one of the people defending him about the Atlantic City trip. Because I was like, okay, so a dude goes and does something that's legal. He didn't drive. He wasn't drunk. He didn't, you know, so what's the story here exactly? Guy does something legal, comes back to his hotel. I don't know what the story is here, <laughs> you know. Well, the story was he was down 2-0. Right, right. And they, right. They, they need they needed something, and I, I remember them asking us about it, and, and we kept saying, "Oh, no big deal." I Me, mean, we do that all the time. Like, of course, I don't do that, but right. I needed immediately get off of it. <laughs> that's what I was. That's right. what I was trying to do. <laughs> something else that came up in the doc is is was you know the whole question of Mike and the the remark about Republicans buying sneakers too, and it's been blown up to this whole thing. And I thought the documentary did a good job of, you know, sort of laying what the situation was for Mike and maybe why he might not have said something or stepped up and he he shied away from controversial stuff. But honestly, Doc, I think about you in a lot of situations in your career, these things, these racialized issues were thrust upon you. Like you didn't even have a choice in that matter, whether it be, you know, some of the controversies with you and your ex-wife at Marquette, but of course, Donald Sterling, while you were here with the Clippers, like this is, these are things that you didn't have a choice of saying, all right, I'm not going to deal with this. It was kind of put upon you. I want to know, I would love to know how you feel about what black athletes need to be doing or saying um, in the public space when these, these highly sensitive topics sort of arise around them. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I don't think we 
have an obligation, uh, I think it's your choice. And, and I've always believed that. I've all, I'm from Chicago, man. Like, I, we are political as they come, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> and and I've always been involved. I grew up uh, at Jesse, with Jesse Jackson and, 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 and Operation Push. And listen, you know, I, I interracially married. I had to deal with that. Um, right. You know, I had to deal with the racism stuff. I had my house burned down by skinheads. Um, the Donald, the Donald Sterling stuff. So, you know, you're right. Like some of mine, I had to answer anyway. But it's it's not your job if you don't want it to be. Like just because you decide to play basketball, does that mean you've decided to be a politician or you've decided uh, to do anything? But that's for all of us. You know, if you're a writer, uh, if you're a director, if you're an actor. If you are whatever, it's it's your choice as an American. And, and Michael made that choice, so it didn't bother me. I would say I wished he would have been more involved. Mm. You know, uh, I'm not mad at him that he wasn't, but I wish that a lot of guys would be more involved in the process. I mean, what we have going on right now, you better get involved. <laughs> you know, that's the way I look at it. Like, uh, you know, I was just talking to, Ray Allen and, and uh, well, well, hold on, Doc. You allowed to talk to Ray Allen? Yeah, me, 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 and Ray, me and Ray can talk. We were, we were texting back and forth. Uh, you know, it's funny. I talked to Ray, uh, text back and forth for Ray today, and talked to Kevin today. Oh my goodness! I wish I could, I wish I could somehow get out of the way and let them communicate <laughs> together. Oh that God. will happen. I'm telling you. Okay. But anyway, we <laughs> both were laughing at you. Know what the silliest thing in the world is now? People who say. Well, I didn't like her. That's why I didn't vote. Right. Mm, right. You know, how does that look mm. now? You know, that's right. what I always tell people. Mm. So, well, you I, know, yeah, I, I, yeah. I believe in politics and I believe we should be involved, but that's not for everybody. I, I got so many arguments in 2016 with people, including a lot of black people, by the way, yes. who were yes. saying they weren't inspired. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about inspired? <laughs> you <sighs> know, you know, people died on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. For us to vote, not to be inspired, okay? <laughs> you know. Well, look, look what look what not in, being inspired has created. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, the president that we have, the judges that he's chosen. Right. We just saw a black man jogging. Right. Uh, right. Last week or the other day, and and get killed for it. Yep. So, if you don't think it's important, uh, then something's wrong. But I do think maybe that is good for us. I think. Um, Every once in a while, we need a correction. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, right. and I think this has corrected us. Like we're, I would be shocked if we didn't come out and vote. Yeah, I'll be shocked too. Uh, I will. I think that this is a lot of people are really ready to do this. <laughs> you know, one way or the, 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 you know, what people did, and you're obviously you went to Marquette, so you've been in Milwaukee. What they did in Milwaukee in the middle of a pandemic. To vote, oh my gosh. to go out and vote and put themselves on the line. That showed me everything I needed to know. Because even though the vote totals were down, they still weren't down as much as people thought they were going to be. And well, they, they weren't down as much as they thought. Exactly. That's why they wanted exactly. to vote. Right. What, what's even more importantly, and David, you know Milwaukee a little bit, but especially Milwaukee, where uh, it's been so depressed yeah. uh, for, for the minority. And right. the fact that they went out and voted in Milwaukee in yes. the cold, exactly. that tells you a lot. That that speaks volumes. Uh, now, Doc, I want to get back to the to the Chicago part of it because obviously you are very you're from there. You 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 know the lay of the land. You know what Isaiah was like as a player when he played. Yeah. And, and 
and and that dynamic, and I, it's hard for me because I'm not from Chicago, but obviously I've talked to Wilbon a million times. I've talked to Darrell Walker a million times, all the guys that are from Chicago. Can you explain to people who aren't from Chicago what that city and its basketball history created that, that made that thing between Michael and Isaiah even more, even bigger than it would have been normally? Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one because I, I hate the way Isaiah uh, is being presented. You yeah. know, um, Isaiah was a ruthless winner. <laughs> right. you, you know what I mean right. by yes. that? Like, he's yes. no different than any other winner. Um, and being from Chicago, Isaiah is the best player ever to come out of Chicago, uh, you know, in my opinion. You know, uh, even my ego has to say that, <laughs> you, you know. Uh, and then having Michael be the greatest player to play in Chicago. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that created a competition on its own right. Like Isaiah wasn't giving Michael Chicago, and Michael was trying to take Chicago, you know? And so people don't even know that part of it. They just mm-hmm. see the Detroit part right, right. and the Chicago Bull part. But the biggest part is that. Like, exactly. Uh, Isaiah still lived in Chicago. You know, when he was playing for Detroit and like he wanted to come home and be Isaiah Thomas. He didn't want to come home and hear about Michael Jordan. So it it had a lot of energy to it. Um, You know, but one thing I would say is, you know, we do make a big deal of it as far as them not getting along now. Listen, you you remember uh, KJ and I had a fight. Sure. Uh, Well, we didn't fight. KJ ran. I couldn't catch him. (laughs) Because he wow. was too fast. He did. All he was too fast. I couldn't catch him. But if I had caught him, it would have been a fight. All I remember uh, is that loud ass shirt Greg Anthony had on. Yeah. That's, that's very true. You know, but it's funny. So when the Sterling thing happened, KJ was then the, the mayor of Sacramento, but he was also appointed to lead the, uh, the Players Association right. Right. through this crisis. Right. So KJ called me like five times. I would not return the call. I'm like, I'm not talking to this dude. And, and think about it. That was 25 years ago. And, and so Chris Paul had to call me as a coach. Come on now. You got, you got to move on. And so I did. I called, I called KJ. I called KJ and we had a great talk. And, you know, we started laughing about the whole thing. And now we're good. But it took a while. To say the least, and that's just how we were built back then. I mean, we didn't we didn't know each other because there was really no AU growing up, yeah. so we didn't have relationships with the league the way the guys do now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, as somebody, I want to defend the millennial generation. I know as bad as it may sound to to do so, <laughs> if 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 I'm allowed to here, but you know, like you said, that's just the culture that these guys were born into, right? Like playing on these traveling teams a million games a year every single summer. These guys get to know each other from, like, age 13, 14. And so there's a sort of familiarity there where, you know, they're not going to get to carry a a grudge, you know, for 25 years like Doc and Kevin Johnson because so many mutual acquaintances and then you got the sneaker company stuff that makes these guys – allied in so many different ways i don't want to because i don't want to accept the premise that guys these days are just you know not as tough or hard scrabble i just think it's you know circumstance it well some circumstance for sure like uh you know it's no doubt like you know it's funny because i i live it through austin 
And I remember right. I was his rookie year, I watched a game and I see him walking out talking to God. Hey, well, you know this guy. Yeah. And, and, and it's, they, you know, it's from 12 years old, easy. Yeah. That they've met. I mean, they know each other. Anthony Davis and Bradley Bill, all those guys, they all knew each other. Yeah. You know, but that doesn't mean you can't go at them. And, 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 and so they still do that as well. Uh, but we, we do have some throwbacks now. Like Kawhi, he's not trying to get to know anybody, <laughs> you know, uh, and neither is Giannis. Like right. they're not working out with guys in the summertime. They're not doing all that stuff. Uh, so you can do both. You know, you can have friendships like, you know, me and Derek Harper and Daryl Walker. Mm-hmm. We, those are my best friends uh, in the NBA. Yeah. But when we played in, against each other, it was war. Me and Charles Oakley were really close. And we had a fight in the game. Mm-hmm. And then we went to dinner that night after the right, game. Right. So, you know, it, it was just different. Also, the way the game is called. So I don't think any the, these guys work just as hard as we I even I hear guys in my generation like they don't work. Man, are you nuts? They work harder. Mm-hmm. They do more. They're more skilled, uh, in my opinion. Uh, are they more physical? I would say probably not. And then, then it's all about each individual guy and winning. I don't think it has ever changed and it'll never change. Yeah, Doc, I've always said this. Like, it's impossible to compare eras until you tell – you've got to tell me what rules we're playing under. Are we playing under 80s rules? You know, with, 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 with hand-checking 30 feet from the basket and the elbow on the back and I can dislodge you underneath the rim? I mean, are we playing today's rules where you can't touch anybody? That, I mean, otherwise, you can't, even, you can't even begin to compare these guys – uh, today it, from the guys tough. back in the day. Yeah, but I do think the great ones would have been great in any era. You right, know, like right. Steph Curry can shoot today. He could have shot 10 days, 10 years ago. Right. And he can shoot 10 years from now. That's not going away. Michael Jordan would have been great in the era. Yeah. Uh, now, the effectiveness. Could Michael and the rules now have been even more dominant? Probably, mm-hmm. you know, uh, probably. But maybe not. Who knows? Uh you know, uh, but most likely, yes. Uh, but I just think they all could have been great in all the eras. I, I don't think that. You know, it's funny, though, when you talk teams. Like, I was on a, a Zoom call with my coaching staff. You know, it used to be three coaches. Now I think I have 1,000 coaches <laughs> on my staff. And some are young. And so we got into the Golden State, the Durant-Golden State versus the Bulls. Right. And who would win? And I said, and I, you know, all the young guys said Golden State. All the old coaches said Chicago. Right. It was hilarious <laughs> listening to them, you know, but they were like Dennis would guard uh, uh, Durant. Yeah. You know, yeah. Michael would guard Curry. Right. And um, Scotty would guard Clay. Clay. And I actually said, Dane's going 130 in that game. <laughs> and, and I said, and, and I said, in any rules. Right. But if you made the rules back to when they played, it would have been a mess. Yeah. If you made the rules to now, Golden State would have had a shot. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, Speaking, uh, you mentioned Kawhi, so I have to ask you how, you know, I know you, you're, you're vi- video conferencing with your guys every day. Um, do you worry about a guy like Kawhi that really does kind of keep to himself, like on the normal but especially in a situation like this, you know, where where you can't talk to anybody, you can't have physical contact with anybody. Uh, he's actually the opposite. He's the one guy. He has his own gym. He's the one guy that you may worry about working too much. Right. You know, right. And, and, and the communication part, 
has been great. I mean, uh, we do these Zoom things. We've had cele- we have a celebrity Zoom each each week. Well, we I don't want to throw names out, but we've had some amazing names talk to our team, and they're all on Kwai's on everyone. Uh, the coaching staff, myself, and the other coaches, we reach out. So uh, he's been very communicative in, in this, maybe because he has no one to talk to, you know. Mm. So uh, it's gone well in, in that respect. But the good thing with him where I really think Kawhi's done a great job is he's been reaching out. Him and PG have done a great job reaching out to the other players just to remind them to keep working. Uh, we have this thing, you know, we came up with this saying, win the weight, like let's win we want to win the season, uh, but we have to win the weight first so we can right. win the season when right. it starts back. Uh, and our guys have bought into it, and they're working their butts off. So, Doc, I want to ask you a little bit about Kawhi because, you know, anytime you start working with a new person and that that person has a reputation, um, it's, there's always like, all right, what are these expectations going to be? What is this new person going to be like? Like, I can say for myself, when I started working with D.A., um, I, I, I only knew him as broadcaster DA and like, he's only t- like whenever he's on TNT or ESPN, he's speaking in his broadcaster or what I call job interview Negro voice. And then I get to know him and it's like, Oh no, DA is like, you know, a dude. Right. <laughs> so like, that's, that's me and DA's, um, experience. I want to know what it's, what your experience with working with Kawhi has been like from, you know, seeing him from afar and then now working with him on a day to day basis. Yeah, it's a great question because I didn't know Kawhi. I think uh, the perception is in, that we all know each other. And I didn't know Kawhi at all. Like, I, I had probably said four words to him in my life until he walked into my house in Malibu uh, when we did our little sales pitch. That was the first time that I had a more than a sentence conversation with him. So I didn't know him. And and what I, what I have found is, uh, as far as working with him, I love it. Um, He's better, um, you know, than I actually, I knew he was a great player, but he does things that like defensively, I, I've said this, I've never used this term in my life. That means in 20 years of coaching and 13 years as a player, and then even before then, he has the most beautiful steals that I've ever seen. And I say that, I've said it on the bench. I remember saying it the first time. And Ty Lue was looking at me, a beautiful steal. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I would start showing it. Like it, some of his steals where a guy is like driving by, he reaches out with that hand. And the next thing you know, he's going the other way with the ball in his hand. They're just amazing. Some of the things he does offensively. Yeah. Uh, and where I didn't know, and I thought it started in the, in the Golden State Toronto series where Kawhi start being a playmaker, mm-hmm. you know, start really starting to trust his guys and making plays. I never knew he had the vision right. uh, that he has. Like I knew he was really good uh, uh, offensively as far as if he got to his spot, it's a bucket. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't know is watching him pass and find open guys. I never knew he had that ability. And so he's better. The last thing I would say about him his work ethic, guys, I'm telling you, like, it's a it's a reason the greats are great. Um, you know, it's funny. I read this thing about Michael. The reason he fell in love with Kobe was because he thought Kobe was one of the few guys that were willing to go through the process. Right. You know, because everybody has their own process and they think they do enough. They don't. Yeah. Most of them don't. But right. they think they do. Right. Um, 
Kobe fell in love with Kawhi. And I actually think it's probably for the same reason. Kawhi's process is maniacal, man. It's it's nuts watching him work. It's it's been it's been cool to watch and it's been great uh for the other guys as well. When you sat down with, with Lawrence and, and, and Steve and the other members of the organization, I mean, how, what, what was the approach that you guys wanted to come up with? What was important to you as your guys dealt with this kind of, you know, endless shutdown? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I think uh, with each team is different. Like, we want to win the title. Like, we're in this to win it, right? right? So we have different goals than some other teams. You know, I can't imagine what a team that is out of the playoffs are going through. Like, you think they want to come back and play five more games? No, they don't. <laughs> no, they, they 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 want this season. They couldn't. They wish the season would have been called over at sixty. You know. <laughs> so, but but we aren't like that. Like we we set out for a goal, and and like we 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 talk about they can delay us, but they can't deny us. You know, and so our thing. The first thing was to keep the players engaged. That was number one. Number two is to check on them on a human level. Forget basketball. Uh, because these everyone has families. Right. Everyone has grandmothers and grandfathers. Uh, and this is dangerous stuff. And so our, our, my mandate to all my coaches and to the staff is when you reach out to the player, it's about them first, not us. It's about them. Uh, and then the third thing is conditioning. Like, um, we don't know when this is going to start, uh, but when it does start, let's not be the loser because we are not in shape. Right. Let's be the winner. Like, we don't want to be the loser in that. And then uh, the last thing, and probably the most important thing, is the mental health part. And uh, not only just mental health as far as keeping our guys, keeping the dream alive, like we're going to win a title. We're going to win a title. That's, that's what our guys believe and their brainwash, right? But also just mental health. We have a, we have a few players. We have one player that's still in a hotel room uh, because he was traded when wow. we got him. Right. Um, we, we have th- three or four young, uh, rookies uh, who are living in an apartment by themselves. You know, two of them, unfortunately for them, just broke up with their girlfriend right before the pandemic. <laughs> so, <Whoops. laughs> so, so they're at home by themselves. My guess, my guess is uh, Tinder and Raya and all those <laughs> other apps, they're on every day. <laughs> well, as I tell them, that's all talk, brother. That's all talk. So, <laughs> so but you know, that's tough for these guys. Like they don't know how yeah. to cook. Most of them. I mean, they're yeah. they're dealing with real life stuff, and so we have to re- make sure, mental health wise, that we stay in comp- uh, just in communication with all these guys. I think what the league has to has to be mindful of is a perception, a cynical perception out there that you know the only reason to bring back the season is money, right? Um, that obviously, and money's a, a, a good motivating factor. Let's face it. Like even the most, I don't know, like rosy um, colored lens view of sports person would have to recognize that 
money drives a lot of the things that happen in professional sports. But I would ask you, like, what is a reason outside of the financial implications that would be a great reason to start this season back up? When you consider all of the things that you mentioned about, you know, how dangerous the disease is, the health ramifications and things of that nature. Well, selfishly, I want to I want to champion crown. Mm. No, I mean, that's just straight up selfish thought. Like, you know, we we believe like we're one of those teams. We believe we are the team, right. you know, and so we want a champion crown. Like we want we want to have a prize fight. Like that's our selfish reason. Right. Uh, but globally, at least, you know, in the United States, I miss sports. I think it's important. I think it's part of our confidence. Uh, you know, when 9-11 happened, and you remember the Yankees played in that baseball game, uh, it, it felt like it gave us, okay, we're good to start breathing again. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I do think sports plays a major role um, in doing that. And so I think it's important in that way as well. You know, obviously the financial ramifications aren't just for the athletes. Uh, just think of all the arena workers and everybody else. We're going to play with no fans. Right. So, you know, how are we going to supplement all those people? So there's a lot of reasons, but selfishly, I want a champion crown. But, uh, Doc, along those lines, though, I mean, regardless of what they come up with, it sounds like maybe now it's Orlando they're thinking about um, down at yeah. Disney World. Um they're going to they're going to try to hermetically seal a city. I I have a lot of doubts about that. I just wonder what your level of concern is if if they do come up with an approach where they try to house all the playoff teams or all thirty yeah. teams in one place. Yeah, I, I'm worried uh, because you should be, David. Like I'm not smart enough to know what this virus is or does. Uh, we do know. Uh, it affects most people when they're in a group setting and it doesn't affect you at all when you're by yourself, you know? So we, we already know that. Um, listen, um, I'm not young, you know, uh, but I'm, I guess I'm young enough. Yeah. Uh, you sure look it. Well, black don't crack. Uh, but it's interesting. So, you know, David, I don't know. I, I am what, what I say I would do it without fear. Of course not. Like we, you gotta have some fear in this. Um, you know, listen, at the end of the day, I think what we all want, I don't think anyone thinks that a vaccination is going to come soon. Right. 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 But, but what we do want is treatment. Mm-hmm. So like we know that we need testing and, and I think we'll all get that. But what we don't know is if you're tested and you have it, can you get treated? Right. And, and so I think when we feel comfortable in the treatment, where meaning that if you do get it, they can take care of you and yeah. you'll be okay. Yeah. Um, then it actually does become the flu, yeah. you know, because you can treat it. Right. But until then, no one can tell me that they're going to do anything and feel comfortable about doing it. Yeah. I, I just don't know how, how we get there. Yeah, I'm just worried about, I mean, point blank, a guy like, I mean, Jerry West is an iconic guy. Jerry West is 80, okay? <laughs> you know, and he's- Well, we're not letting Jerry out of the house. Right, okay. So, <laughs> you know, just, and that's the truth. Like, we're just not going to let, um, 
you know, we, you know, I have Armand Hill on my staff who was in his mid sixties. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I worry about that. Like, you know, we, we're going to start our individuals next week mm-hmm. and Armand would, he's such a great teacher. He would be one of the guys that's doing it, but we're not, we're not well, he's not going to do it. And right. he's upset. Right. You know, like he wants to go work. And I said, well, I understand that, but we're not going to let you do it. Right. We just can't, I, I can't, I can't live with that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that you, but you're right, David. Uh, I don't, we do have a lot of time because we only had a certain amount of games in the playoffs and we can push things back. Yeah. That's the one thing I know. So I still think time is in our favor mm-hmm. to finish the season, but I don't want to rush. I want to get this right. Whatever we do, let's get it right. Doc, selfishly as somebody who is in LA and, you know, um, I cover the team. I'm, 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 you know, I've been to all pretty much every single one of your games here in LA this year. Uh, well, I was. Before you start this, you yes. grew up in LA? Absolutely not. No, I'm a New York City guy. Okay, I moved now, here two okay, and a half years ago. Talk. Now we can talk. Because if you grew up in LA, I know who you were cheering for. So. Relax, relax, yeah, relax, yeah, relax, yeah. relax. Now relax. You're partial. <laughs> So we're good. We're good. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of what I wanted to get at, because selfishly, as somebody who's, co- you know, covering both teams and watching you guys very closely, I was looking forward to what I felt like was going to inevitably be the battle for L.A. in the playoffs this year. And earlier this season, I could tell that you guys were getting on each other's nerves. And by you guys, I mean the Lakers and the Clippers that that I was there that day. When you said, well, I guess the Lakers, you know, team plan is whatever the hell LeBron wants to do. (laughs) And I could tell that LeBron, when he was when he targeted you guys specifically for your strategy as far as resting and recovery for players, that that was intentional because he sees you guys as a threat. He sees you guys as the people that they need to knock off. And and me personally, I find that to be very fun. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the battle for LA because you guys clearly were getting under each other's skin this season. Yeah, listen, I look at it like they're in our way. Um, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't look at it even though you're right. I don't look at it as the battle of LA because we don't get the trophy if we beat the Lakers. We, That's fair. We, yeah. we need to go through the Lakers to get to the trophy. You know, to have a chance to play for the trophy. And so, you know, that's what it is for me. Like, um, they're in our way. And, and and for us to get what we want to get to, we have to go through them. And probably the same way for them, they have to go through us. And I think as a, as a group, we're good with that. And I think they're good with that. And I think that sets up for a pretty good battle. Uh, the problem is we're in the West. And we have to go through a lot of teams just to get to them. Uh, but listen, uh, that's part of it. Like, you know, when you live in the same town, everything you say is heard by the other team. Of course. You know, like if I was, if we were in Utah or in Denver or somewhere else, we could make a comment about the Clippers or the Lakers, and they probably wouldn't even hear about it. <laughs> but if I say something about the Lakers, it's on the news, the local news, and it's, they're going to get asked yeah, and yeah. vice versa. So it's, it's funny, like every charity they do, I see it, you know, <laughs> uh, I call like they do a charity. I'm like, let's do something better. 
like, I'm competitive. I want to win every day. And, and so um, it's, it's funny, though. It's interesting in that way. Like, you do notice each other, uh, and you notice whatever they do. Yeah. Uh, so you you are definitely starting up again next week, though, with the individuals. Yeah, well, we're hoping. I think midweek right now, at first we're going to try to do Monday, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's going to make it. So we're, we're hoping by, by Wednesday uh, or Thursday we're going to start with the individuals' uh, workouts. And, you know, it's just one coach, one player yeah. uh, per basket. Uh, I don't think more than four players or four coaches – can be in the uh, arena or in the in the uh, practice facility might, at the same time. Right, might be six coaches now, but four players for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and then they cho- changed the uh, which was a great change uh, by Adam and great recognition. Instead of just saying you know non bench coaches, because some of your bench coaches like we have Sam Cassell, there there may be nobody better in the league right. doing one on ones with guards than Sam. Yeah. But he's on our bench. And so originally he wouldn't have been able to be one of the guys to do the one on ones with our guys. Right. And so um, you know, it's a great example where Adam listens, you know, we the head coaches, I think Terry Stotts brought it up. And um and and Adam changed. And now you know, it's six coaches right. uh, working with the players, but it's still only one at a time. Yeah. Now, w- the one thing I have heard consistently from athletic trainers is the concern about lower body more than anything else, soft tissue injuries, ankles, yeah. and things like that. What What have you talked to with Jason and the, and the staff about how you're going to ratchet these guys back up? Slowly. Like, yeah. you got to be careful, man. Like, you know, some of them now, most of them have found a place to to shoot, but some of them have not taken a shot, David. Right. Since this has been called off, so that means most likely, you know, one of the things, and I'm sure you heard about this, um, Steve Bomber. This is why he's a great owner. So a week into this, Lawrence Frank, who is absolutely phenomenal, mm-hmm. uh, said, "Hey, let's create individual gyms for the players." So we bought treadmills and bikes, both, and weights for every single player and shipped them to their houses. Right. And so we started doing Zoom courses with our strength coach. I, I should have got on myself. I probably gained 50 pounds. Um, <laughs> and, like, we do three Zooms a day with a groups of four where guys are running and doing all that, but it still ain't basketball. And so – we, we just got to be really careful on how we ratchet things up. So as you get ready to kind of start this thing back up again, Doc, I mean, it's all there in front of you. But I wonder if you <clears throat> it, – it, it's, it's, it's hard to ask this. It, is there any part of you that would say that this is in any way devalued because of this delay, because of fewer games, because of anything? No, there's, you know, it's funny. Uh, Austin and I did a podcast yesterday, me and Austin, uh, where he was the interviewer, which was so interesting in his own right. That is uh, it, oh, it was fun. Uh, but he, he brought that up. Like, uh, and I said, there's no such thing as a cheap champion. Like, you don't back into winning. I right. don't care if you play 20 games. Right. Like, winning people, and you know this, uh, Dave, you've been around the league. 
for what, 65, 75 years? I'm not 63 sure. years is, is where I'm at now. <laughs> but winning is so hard. Like, it's hard to win. It's hard to win a title. And it doesn't matter how it, it goes. You're going to, if you crown a champion, someone's going to earn that thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there's no doubt, like, you're going to earn it. And you know the team that wins it? Like, if we won it and someone said, well, you know, you didn't play for 70 games. Oh, please. And then I'm going to say, and we all played 70. Right. right. So that's, the, you know, what you talked about earlier about the mental health. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things we've already talked to our guys about. Like, hey, listen, let's not, we can't be using, let's not have an excuse. The reason we didn't win is because we only played. No, we cannot use that. Right. Like, that cannot be part of our verbiage. So, like, and the other part of that, if you do win it, I guarantee you'll have two things. You're going to have a parade. <laughs> and you're going to have a ring ceremony where they, where they lower the batter. Right. You're having those two things. Like, you don't luck into winning the title, man. Like, you earn it. And uh, that's the mindset we all better have. Yeah. Well, Doc, man, uh, I hope you hit him straight tomorrow. Me too. Me too, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I can't thank you enough for joining the show on the show this week. And you know, by all means, please stay safe out there, man. And um, look, I hope we play too. I just want to make sure that you know we all get through this okay, first and foremost, before anything else. So stay safe, my friend, and uh, best of luck to you as uh, we go on with this. Well, thank you guys. And David, before I go, I will have to say this, man. Like I've been in this a long time, and it's so good. Uh, guys like you teach all the other young guys how to do the business. I hope you stay around and keep doing it uh, because you're really important uh, for a lot of the new media. I think it's very important to have you around. I really appreciate it. I've got two teenage sons, Doc. i got to put them through school, so you're not done with me yet. <laughs> <laughs> not done with me yet, brother. <laughs> good. Man, good, good, good. Thank you. I appreciate that very much, and I'll talk to Thanks, you soon. Thanks, Doc. All right. Thank you. Take care, guys. All right. All right. If you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed, above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving, thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Okay, I got to, you know, Lawnmower 3.0-wise, you know, that, that sounds a little, you know, that sounds a little powerful. I'm not sure. I mean, listen, <laughs> listen Dave, I, it's, it may sound powerful, but really it's about the versatility All right. and just like the ease of use is incredible. Mm-hmm. If you've never done this before, you'll get your hands on this lawnmower 3.0 and it's going to be very easy to make that your, your private area down there clean. I'm talking about. I'm talking about pristine, David. Like, and again, in the past, whenever I've tried to groom myself in that way, it gets complicated and you're worried about nicks and cuts and you don't want to deal with that kind of stuff in that region. That's that's one region you need to be as smooth as a baby's bottom, DA. Mm. And with this 3.0, this makes it very easy to 
get rid of the, you know, the excess stuff over there. And then, <laughs> and then again, you're not going to cut yourself, nick yourself. It's, it's just the ease of use, I think, is the most important part. And if you've never tried to groom that area again, it's not going to take some sophisticated level of expertise. This thing is self-explanatory. And is, you're going to notice a huge difference. I can't endorse a product any more than I do the Manscaped version 3. All right, there you go. The perfect package 3.0. You get the Manscaped crop preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant most moisturizer, the third generation lawnmower 3.0 with a cutting edge ceramic blade. Look, if Waz says it's good, it's good, y'all. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC, one word, THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Power Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC. Man, I just love talking to Doc because um, Doc's one of those guys, he speaks in sound bites, Wallace, so it's pretty good. Yes, <laughs> you know? it's great. He gets it. He gets it. <laughs> I, I must tell you, he was, he was so good as a broadcaster, and people don't remember it now because it was many years ago because right. he got back into coaching, but he was really good on TNT um, and ESPN as, as the, as the analyst. And um, let's put it this way. Doc won't be out of work for long, no matter what, well, what, what direction not. he goes in. You know? Of course not. And, you know, I did want to get into something um, on the last dance because honestly, DA every single week, right? Like without fail, we're watching, I'm watching the doc with my girlfriend. And every time you pop, pop up on the screen, cause now she knows who you are. She's like, David, it's <laughs> like, are you really gonna do this every single time? The guy, the guy appears like literally every single time. But no, like I wanted to ask you about the gambling stuff, yeah. right? Um, because again, this is not something that I was, you know, sort of old enough to be um, aware of at the time in real time when it was happening. And mm. I don't think the doc gives you a a good sense, a proper like contextualization of how people sort of dealt with it, both in the media or just the, the climate around it. And right. so I wanted to ask you, cause you were there and you commented on it and you actually mentioned to doc that you honestly didn't think it was a big deal at the time. Mm -hmm. I saw my, you know, I see Mike Francesa up there killing Jordan for, but I'm like, of course, Mike Francesa is going to kill Jordan. <laughs> like, that, like that doesn't like, duh, of course that's <laughs> happening. So I just kind of wanted to get your sense of, you know, how people view this whole thing, this whole quote unquote controversy. Yeah. Well, was well, the thing that you, the, the, the main thing to remember about this, and, and I had even forgotten about it, and someone reminded me of it this week, was that you have to remember how, how terrified the NBA and all pro sports were about gambling back in the, back in the day. You know, it's not like it was now. You know, we didn't have, all these, you know, bet on sports and all these, 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 you know, warehouses where you can bet on everything, yeah. where you can bet on the coin toss, you can bet on the, who, who hits the first basket and all those things where gambling is accepted now as part of the landscape of sports that people, that people are, you know, willing to talk about 
the bets that they've made. I mean, you know, Van Pelt has a whole thing on it right now every night. Yeah, and I feel like there used to like I remember the first time I started thinking about this and Mm -hmm. I never, you know, because I'm sort of naive to a lot of this stuff. I remember the way David Stern would describe gambling was always in conjunction and association with match fixing. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the idea that you couldn't have one without the other, that they were inextricably linked. It's only now recently, of course, Adam Silver has been a big mandate of his to Mm -hmm. sort of normalize sports betting. But traditionally people got nervous about gambling because they, they maybe, either internally as far as the league offices are concerned um, and maybe the public perception that gambling and max fiction fixing were one in the same. That's sort of the sense that I got. No, that's right. Correct. That's right. right. Yeah. They were terrified of the idea that, you know, and this was right after the, all the Pete Rose stuff had happened. Pete Rose had gotten suspended from baseball, banned from baseball for life, essentially for gambling on his own team. And that's kind of like the nightmare scenario for any sports league is that a guy's actually betting on the game he's playing in. Now he was, he was the manager of the team, but still, you know, he could, he could affect the outcome, you know, one way or the other. So they were terrified of that. I remember vividly the NBA being angry with States that were introducing lotteries in their States. It didn't even have anything to do with basketball. And they didn't even want the lottery in their in their States, in those States where NBA teams were because of the gambling piece. So it was, it was just a different time, man. So in that context, when Jordan when Jordan was disclosed that he had been out in Atlantic City gambling, you know, people lost their damn minds because it was like, well, first of all, he's got a game tomorrow and how can he be thinking about gambling and blase blase and and he's out till now Dave Anderson. And the other thing was that Dave Anderson, who wrote the column, was a Pulitzer Prize winning columnist at the New York Times. You know, one of the few, in fact, I think the, he might be the only sports writer to ever win a Pulitzer for sports writing columns. Um, mm. So he has some juice. So when he came out and said, this is wrong, he shouldn't be gambling, is, you know, for, I can't even remember the reason he gave, but, you know, everybody paid attention to it because it was the New York Times, right? So that's what, that was the other factor. If it had been, you know, the failing New York Times. Yeah, right. The failing New York Times, right. <laughs> But um, that's what that's that was the other thing. And so people went crazy about it. And that and with those two things, that's kind of the the reasoning for it, why everybody got so bent out of shape about it. But again, I kept reducing it to, okay, he went to a casino. He wasn't driving like if he had been drunk behind the wheel driving to Atlantic City, I could say, okay, got it. I got it wrong. Couldn't do it. He rented a limo. He was with his father. He goes to a casino. They gamble. They get back in the limbo. They go back home. So what right. is the story? <laughs> you know, like, what's the story here? Why is this Why is this something worth controversy? I just did not see it the way that other people saw it at the time. Now, in the context of, you know, Slim Buller and Richard Eskinas and all that, if you're saying there's a pattern – then that's a legitimate story. But we didn't know all that back then. You know, we didn't know, know all that at the time. So um, we those things be, those things came to light, you know, in subsequent weeks, but we didn't know all of that contemporaneously. So it was that, that was why um, I just thought it was blown out of proportion. And that's when I remember, because Magic was working for NBC then, and he was talking to me, and it might have been Wilbon and Jay Adande and a few other people, you know, and he said, y'all are going to drive this man out of the league. He's tired of y'all. I'm telling you, he's getting sick of y'all. 
you know, and that's when he stopped talking. That's when Mad- Michael stopped talking to the to the media. Um, during that that's what I series. wanted to ask you too. Did you it, it, like a lot of people in the historical retelling? Um, they said that's sort of a line of demarcation, right? Yeah. Like M- Michael felt chapped about the coverage yeah. of his gambling, and he withdrew from you know being open and forthcoming with the media. Did you notice that as it was happening? Oh, sure, because he wasn't talking. I mean, he was wow. not available. I mean, this was a guy that would always talk. You know, sometimes you'd have to do it in the like in the in the media room because there was just so many media people there. But he would always talk. You know, after a practice or after a game. You know, he was always available. Um, and then he just shut it down. He just said, I'm not talking anymore. And so, you know, that's when guys like me, you know, really, that's why you hear a lot of media people talking about Steve Kerr. They love Steve Kerr. It's because during those days when Michael wouldn't talk, Steve would always talk. And you needed to have somebody, <laughs> some bull. You had to have some player in your story. And Steve would always talk. And I'll, we actually felt bad about it because, you know, Steve was playing. This ain't your job, but he, Steve. But he wasn't, play, he wasn't playing 35 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, right, you know, so, right. Um, so we would actually be apologetic and he, would be, and he would be like, I get it. I understand, guys. Don't worry about it. Ask me whatever you want. So, um, but yeah, no, Michael shut it down. I mean, any the only time he was talking during that time in that particular year um, in 93 was talk. He would talk to Ahmad Rashad before games. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. What do you remember about the infamous sunglasses interview? That I mean, he gave yeah. Wasn't his best look. I'll say that. <laughs> you know, if you're trying, if you're trying to show people that you got nothing to hide, why are you wearing sunglasses on the indoor? You know? So yeah, I would have, I wish, I wish somebody would have stepped to Mike and said, yo, Mike, you got to take the glasses off, man. Come on. But you know, you know, man, to and a lot of this stuff, again, um, I think, me personally watching it, I don't know how other people are, are you know, internalizing this documentary, but a lot of this shit is humanizing Mike to me mm-hmm. in a way that, like, yo, he's fumbling. Yeah. He, he botched that. Yeah. That's yeah. not, that was not the perfect, unflappable, yeah. you yeah. know, this, this, you know, driven person. He didn't handle that perfectly. He, that was clumsy. That was messy, yeah. the way he handled that, right? Like, that was um, KD-esque, <laughs> if you will. You know, like, right. you, you, don't, you don't think about that he let, stuff. He let, him, he, he let him see him sweat, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. And we don't think about Mike as, you know, messing up or going down 0-2 or doing things that, 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 that aren't completely perfect. Yeah. And even with the stuff about, you know, some people will call – his 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 withdrawal from you know politicizing himself mm-hmm. as a move of cowardice yeah, yeah right like and and by the way you have you have a right to feel that way i don't personally i don't think it's cowardice but i do think that it takes courage to do that type of stuff no question and a no courage question. that he completely lacked yeah and straight up just didn't have at the time for whatever reason so yeah. you know and i get people's misgivings about that you know what i'm saying yeah. but like I, this doc has shown like you know mike because who's somebody who could be like this courageous yeah. fearless person on a basketball court he wasn't that fearless off of it yeah you know um and and i i think this documentary is doing an amazing job humanizing the guy i, I do too um and i think and 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 also showing people just you know how how ruthless and how how he does hold grudges i 
I mean, you know, it's been 30 years, bro. You still, I mean, you can let it go with Isaiah. You know what I'm saying? But he won't. He just never will. He'll never give it. <laughs> he'll never stop thinking. As he put it, he says, Isaiah's an asshole. He'll never not believe that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's real. Um, but to your point, yeah, I mean, I think I take the Craig Hodges position on this. And, and Hodge, you know, was on the team back then. And famously, as we, as, as I'm sure you know, Waz was, you know, kind of blackballed from the league because he had the temerity to suggest that the Gulf War wasn't worth fighting and we shouldn't mm. be blowing up brown people and all those things, you know, and what, you know, and, um, but Hodge Craig's position is this on, on Michael. He's like, look, I wish Michael had said more, but Michael really was not educated enough to be able to have a position, you know, <laughs> You know, and he and he just, and do we want people stepping up to the plate who haven't done the homework? Right, that's the point. Like, yeah. it's a different thing to say that you might feel like it's his duty to do that, and yeah. that's a different conversation. I right. think that's a more nuanced one. But right. like, I don't need Mike talking just to talk because I don't want him talking and pissing me off. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I no, mean? No, I agree. I agree. And so that's why I kind of, I've always, you know. There's a, as I said last week, there's a reason why Ali and Bill Russell were Ali and Bill Russell. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like everybody can't do or what they did. Kareem, or Kareem. You know? Yeah. But everybody can't do what they did. You know, oh. they don't have the institutional knowledge. They don't have the knowledge of the history and they don't have the, the, the courage to your point to be able to, to say something that they know is going to be unpopular, but they're going to say it anyway. I mean, that, that everybody doesn't do that now, you know? And so um, what I think, where people really, where Michael really lost a lot of people was with the, with the, you know, the, the Gantt race, the Harvey Gantt, Jesse Helms race, because people would say, and I think with some justification wise, how much do you need to know to say, don't vote for Jesse Helms? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he you know, was an especially, <laughs> you know, morally reprehensible yeah, cat. Like, right. they, they, like, he was on, on 10 when it came to right. problematic white men. Yeah. Bro. So, like, Jesus. Exactly. So, you know, like, okay, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be at the forefront of the voter rights situation. You don't want to talk about, you know, systemic racism and redlining and things that you may not understand or know about. Okay, that's fine. But you can say vote for Harvey Gantt, can't you? <laughs> you know, right. so that's that's right. where that's where a lot of people kind of and and I was in that crowd too at the time. It's like, right. Mike, you could at least endorse this brother. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, how much is it going to hurt you to endorse this guy in a, in a state senate race? You know what I mean? So, but but he didn't. And 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 as I've gotten older, I've kind of come to your more to your position. And and again, I agree with Craig on this. Like, we can't expect everybody to be ready to talk about things that we want them to talk about. You know what I mean? They just, and I would rather they not if they don't know anything about it. You know, so that's yeah. where that's where I think things were with Mike in that regard, especially with regard to social issues and things like that. But, you know, I do think in some way, I think Jesse Washington wrote this in The Undefeated this week. And I think it's, it was a very good point that even though Michael didn't take those stands, but his presence and his ability to um, make a black basketball player, someone that could be a, a worldwide yep. phenomenon. Yep. Yep. It's part of what allows LeBron to say the things that That's he's able to say. One hundred <laughs> you know and fifty. I'm actually working on something right now, D. I think it should be out tomorrow. Right. And I make that point in, yeah. in what I'm writing. I'm like, that's kind of Mike's greatest contribution to these cats that came behind him. It's like, think about <laughs> 
1990, the 1990-91 season, Mike made $2.5 million right. with the Bulls. Yeah. Great money, not life-changing money. You and I, if we made $2.5 million this year, <laughs> we'd be quite happy and exactly. satisfied. But that money doesn't make you untouchable. Right. He made $25 million off the floor that year, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the reason he was able to do that is because he had this squeaky clean image. Right. Like the two things work hand in hand with sure. each other, sure. right? Like he's securing his financial freedom by being this insanely good pitch man. You got to think like Dame Lillard is on a contract that pays him $250 million over the next six seasons. Mm-hmm. We don't even think Dame Lillard's the best point guard in the league, right. much less right. the undisputed right, 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 right. best player in the NBA, right. which is what Michael Jordan was yeah. in 1991. And he made $2.5 million. Like, Mike's legacy is that he, he, he created an environment that allowed these cats a level of financial freedom that, quite frankly, man, aligns them more with the owners of the NBA sure, than it sure. does the average you know, black person in yeah. some inner city, yeah. you know, like yeah. that. He made that possible Absolutely. for people. Absolutely. And, and, and that matters. Yeah, you it know? does matter. And that's how, you know, people can, people can impact and affect change in different ways. And that's, and that's yeah. how he did it, you know, and it's very important that he did it, you know, now, is it important that Ali didn't take the step? Damn right. It's important that he didn't take the step, but it's also important that, that Michael Jordan, again, black Basketball players did not get endorsements before Michael Jordan. Not like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, there was no, it didn't happen. Okay. I remember these, these days, like they maybe got, you know, maybe magic got to sell Converse. That's about it. You know, he didn't get no McDonald's, no national and, and, McDonald's, and, 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 you know? No, 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 no. OJ got hurt, but, yeah, you know, but we know how that, we know how that turned out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. On on that on that helpful hopeful note, we probably should wrap it up. Yes, sir. <laughs> man, want to thank Doc Rivers for being on the show this week. It was great, man. Uh, please leave a review. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five star review. Um, tell your friends. Uh, well, I thank all of you who are subscribing and all of you that are giving us a listen. The numbers have been really good lately. And I really appreciate you guys uh, giving us a shot. And we'll be back with another one next week. Thank you. Who comma is adjacent? Who comma is adjacent?